Welcome back to this week's episode of Rising Giants with your host, Max and Dom. On this week's episode, we have a very special guest that's joining us, and that is Laura Mom, co-founder and CEO of Barami Production. In 2016, Laura and her mother created Barami Production, their own production company dedicated to supporting upcoming artists and boosting original talent and the original music movement. Among her many accomplishments, Laura is attributed to being one of the pioneers of the Khmer original music movement, has won an Arts and Culture Prize from the Women of the Future Awards Southeast Asia in 2018, and recently had one of Barami Productions artist Vanda reach 100 million views for his song, Time to Rise. We hope you enjoy this episode and listen through it entirely, as Laura shares a ton of incredible insight on the transformation of the music industry in Cambodia and how there are lots of opportunities for creatives and artists to take their work to the global level. If you like the episode and want to follow us further, Join us on Instagram at Rising Giants FM. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the show. Laura, mom, welcome to Rising Giants, and thank you so much for coming on. It, we're we could not be more excited to record this episode and dive into everything from your background to founding Barmy Productions and everything in between that you've done. That's that's been really incremental in the music movement in Cambodia. So. Thank you so much. Just to, to kick it off, I just want to say congratulations on reaching 100 million views with the Time to Rise video. That's an incredible mi- milestone. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the recent fundraiser that you're putting on in collaboration with Fanda and Master Kongne. Yeah, thank you. So I'm super duper, I'm just really happy about 100 million views. It's, it's like, you, if you can imagine after like from my perspective, you know, I came in a long time ago and you know the, the, there was an original music so and then you, I, like I, I also said it in my in my post too that like people used to look down on like people like look Nai as like oh that old Cambodian stuff the, the like and they really used to say some mean things like it's like poor people folktale type thing provincial things right and here is like a master so for them for it to be a project that we're involved in and a mentor of mine had really asked me a long time ago to help Lukrukong Nai because, you know, he wasn't getting the respect that he deserved. He was from local Cambodians, but like not in the way that, you know, we really wanted to do so with, with uh, Time to Rise. So for that hundred million, it's just like, it's so exciting that that belongs to him and it's his legacy. It's not just rap, you know, it's actually like modern music. So to, to talk a little bit about the, like the, the charity that we're doing, actually, unfortunately, Lukru is 77 years old. He was born with a vision impairment and he is having trouble walking now and he lives in the province. So he's not able to take shows. And, and he, we, we got a call from his son that said he wanted to do a fundraiser too. So we were like, okay, wow, Lukru just hit hundred million views. So why don't we do a hundred million reel, which basically is about $25,000. We calculated out his medical expenses for about five years because he's you know in and out of the hospital a little bit, not doing so well. So, and yeah, and we've, we've raised just about 10,000 so far in the first week. And I'm hoping that we'll get to the goal by the end of it. And yeah, so I hope anybody who's listening to this, I don't know when this is coming out, but if you can, help to donate that would be amazing and it's really it's really you know it's unusual to donate to an artist like this but you know he's he's a person who's just been through it all and you know I think he this country does owe him a lot and he's like just a legend so yeah 100 million views and you know we're hoping everybody like you know everybody does like a dollar and things like that so that you know 
It's powerful. I've, I've seen, I've, I've seen, you know, the power of charity here in Cambodia. Like, just a dollar. That's yeah. all that's needed because there's enough people to, to do something to help keep him safe for the next. We want to do. We really hope. I mean, I really want to see more music from Lagrugong Nai as well. So, like, you know, he's a, he's a legend. So, yeah, I hope that everybody will help us keep the spirit alive and stuff. So, yeah. That's basically yeah. what we're up to. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And, and since the episode will be coming out in a, in a few weeks, we'll put a we'll put a link or any any direction as to where to to look for that and and to kind of proceed with with providing any donations or anything along those lines. So we'll be sure to share that. Yeah, definitely. And so yeah. you know, and so starting off with you know this hundred million views and this this incredible mindset milestone and. I think uh, a great place would be to jump all the way back in time. And if you could tell us a little bit about your early life growing up in San Jose and maybe what impact did your family have on your passion for music? Oh, wow. Okay, so so my family are actually, we are a refugee family. So my, my parents, they both went through, my entire family went through the genocide. They miraculously survived it got to a refugee camp, and then were sponsored over by four different churches, actually, Baptist, Mormon, Lutheran, I can't remember, Episcopalian, I think it was, that came together in a time when America was like a really kind of an amazing place where people did get together and help refugees. It was amazing. And so, like, when we, they dropped us off, they dropped us off. Well, my parents landed in Davis in the beginning, and then we ended up moving to San Jose, and I was born at that time. So I grew up in San Jose. It's about 45 minutes south of San Francisco. And it's it, this is, you know, when I was growing up, it was not yet Silicon Valley before. It was, it was just like an orchard town at that time. So it's, I think that, you know, I have to give it up. I was just talking with this, my, my brother the other day about this. Like I have to give a lot of credit to the culture that's out in the Bay Area. It's a really amazing culture. So I grew up around like hip hop, dance choreography. Dance choreography was huge where I was growing up. There was a really big Asian culture. It was like a mixing pot. There was like refugees in our town alone already. It was like Mexicans, Vietnamese, Filipino, Cambodians were like the tiny little population. So it was kind of like a really diverse place to grow up. Everybody was there and it was an orchard town. So it was like kind of sleepy growing up and chill, but gosh, I loved the music. I was really, my, my parents were, you know, they don't like to talk about bad memories. I think a lot of Cambodian families don't like to talk about bad memories. They like to feel happy together, right? And music in our household was what brought us together. So like my dad was a Creedence Clearwater super fan. Like we went to their concert. We listened to Carlos Santana. The Beatles were really big. The Beatles were playing when my parents were on the run as refugees. So, like, they're, like, super dedicated to the Beatles because, you know, John Lennon's Imagine. And my my mom and my dad, they both used to just kind of, like, tell us about the legendariness of the songs. Like, Imagine is a song about world peace. And for a refugee, like, it meant a lot to them. It meant a lot. So, you know, so we got into the, the lore and the mythical aspect of great music and I really loved Lauren Hill I had a cousin who was like really into Janet Jackson and doing dance choreography and I'd follow her after school and go like learn choreographer with her <laughs> and she used me to Lauren Hill and it's like the first one a woman of color first of all playing guitar amazing lyrics like the craziest lyrics I've ever heard ever and she's from a, a group called the Fugees which I was like, at that time, you know, I have to say, like, it, there are times where, you know, as a minority, especially in the United States, you feel pretty invisible sometimes. And then you, ha you have to hang on to those little things that speak to you, right? So here's a cool group called the Fugees, Ready or Not. 
and I'm like, oh my god, this is my music. I'm I'm a Fuji, so like I'm like, yay, this matches for me. So so you know, I think that music and American music was really amazing. And then at the same time, I would listen to old Cambodian music that my parents would play, and I'm like, wow, this sounds really old. Like it sounds like really really recorded a long time ago. I didn't really like it when I was young because I'd always have to be doing chores during it. And like I'd be like, oh man, it's chore time, you know. So, like, but then as I started to grow up, chores like, are never fun to be doing. Yeah, not fun. No, I was like, oh man, you know. My my grandma would play Sinsi Samot, Pine Ron on the background. So like, you know, I I grew up with a lot of music, and I I remember having such a stark difference in terms of the quality of music coming from the United States and the quality of music in Cambodia. And there were of course these karaoke discs that were coming out, which. We enjoyed as a family, and we watched them to like stay in tune. But of course, they were like copied songs and stuff. And but I remember feeling so much shame, and that really kind of like, especially I had a friend after school come over, and they were like, "What's this? Isn't this a Beyonce song? Why is this in your language?" I was like, "Oh yeah, or, or it was Beyonce. Yeah, it was like Beyonce, I think." And I remember feeling super embarrassed, just being like, "Oh man, like." nobody does this so it was it kind of shaped me and it was definitely like something that shaped me to be like why don't we have it and it's kind of been like a lifelong journey of understanding why the reasons why we don't have it and and why we didn't have it and it it brought me into the reality that yeah we had a genocide and it really you know destroyed everything and so you know it's kind of a sad story but it it's, it was like a long music has always been part of that journey so and it's inspired me you know it's inspired me heavily so yeah that was amazing growing up in the Bay Area. Now, yeah, I can understand the amount of just influence from music during that time as well. You know, I mean, just the kind of like the the West Coast Bay Area culture and music that was yeah. that was growing up at that time. It was it was incredible. I listened to a previous interview that you had, and if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think you said that your brother was a Jabberwocky at, at some yes. point too. That's right. And the, before uh, he was a Jabberwocky, okay. he was in Style Elements, which is like the West Coast crew. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of like legendary b-boys in that crew. Crumbs in the crew, yeah. Raymond's in the crew. If you get really, really deep into hip hop culture, they're also staples of hip hop culture. Andy was dancing for the Jabberwockies for a while, and like so, we grew up around that culture, like dance culture, hip hop, turntable scratching, like competitions, b-boy jams. That was like everything we did as kids. And it, it's a competitive, Gosh. like, it's a really cool, yeah. it's an amazing culture because it's telling you, um, like, the way he puts it, and I think this is, and I used to go watch him and be like, yeah, you know, like, so it's yeah. this very much kind of like this gritty, competitive culture that's like, hey, use your body to your fullest extent, and like, no, if you suck, accept it, and like, it's, it's just cool, it's just super cool to see people battle and stuff like that, so... I think it also gave us a little bit of like a competitive spirit when it comes to like, we understand like, it's okay to fail. It's okay to fail and just like get out there. So I think that, you know, all those experiences definitely influence the way we work with the artists here too. Like, hey, don't worry about it. If it sucks, fix it, edit it. Don't worry about it. Like, and I think, you know, we've had a really, really cool run. It's been a really amazing run to bring Bay Area culture into Cambodia and then to have Cambodia like really influence our culture and just to see the mix of it all. So it's like, Really, really, really lovely. I think really lovely. Yeah.
and like you said, it, it, having that inspiration to, or just seeing your brother up on stage and like performing like that. I mean, as a, like I have a, I have a sister as well. And you know, she's, she's, she's like pretty badass in my opinion. And she goes and does like a lot of these like very, you know, confident sort of oriented, like, like dances and stuff too. And I'm like, heck yeah. Like yeah. that's what I'm talking about right there. And you know, I, yeah. you know, it, it kind of, it kind of, you know, comes down into like, to me as well as being like the younger brother and taking that sort of sphere and being like, you know what, I can have like that confidence to like, you know, put on that like cool shirt to go to like middle school or something. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was it's so real, yeah. right? I mean, if these are subcultures, right? They help you feel, they help you feel powerful when you're young and you, you feel like you feel in, you feel kind of empowered. I think that's the wonderful thing about like hip hop culture and dance culture and all of that. It's, it's really a, like a culture for the people, for anybody. You don't need to have money to be in the culture. You need to have spirit. Mm -hmm. That's, that's yeah. the thing that is like, I think that's what resonates so much and why it works in terms of what we're doing out here. It's just like, don't worry mm -hmm. about having or not having. Don't worry about it. It's like completely irrelevant. What matters is your skill. So that's really kind of like the attitude that we take towards, you know, the artists we're working with and things like that. So yeah, mm -hmm. I can tell, I think that Banda has the spirit for sure. So yeah, it's, but it's cool. It's really, really cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And and uh, you know kind of fast forwarding a little bit you know where you where you had your i guess your first break really and kind of from what i understand it, it took you a little bit by or kind of took everyone by a surprise i was around you at the time and what was it like having your song and correct me if please correct me on the pronunciation of this but is it a uh ka forum re pore is that how do you yeah <laughs> okay it's it's a hard one that's one it's like a it's like a tongue twistery type song so it's like yeah. okay yeah, it's okay, okay. i'll have to i will have to practice that <laughs> one and, and come back so um, I, I promise i'll at a okay. later date i'll be no able worries, to come back. No oh that was an amazing that was gosh i i have to say so a lot of people so that's actually the first song that broke out a lot of people don't know this it's, it's actually still on YouTube, but like I, I, I used to write music for fun. It was like my auntie, like I was at UC Berkeley and you know, they like, they make you work really hard. So like I would, I would like go out to the staircase and play music just to feel better or whatever, write music. My first song was actually called Smoke Weed. It's still on YouTube. <laughs> so like, and, nice. I, like oh, Lord. and I didn't, at the time it was not meant for it was just meant, like a friend of mine said, hey, you know, if you're ever feeling sad, you should just like write music and put it on YouTube. Because at that time, YouTube was just like Scorpion versus Spider, like weird videos and stuff, right? It was like, it was not what it is today. It was just like this weird platform where you could upload videos, like, okay, whatever. So yeah, that's one of my internet secrets out there, but it's all good. So when we did Gabriel Rico Prie, by that point, you know, I had no idea what was gonna happen. I really just wanted to put out an original song. And it, that song is like really close to me because it's it's actually how like my mom and I became close again after college, like we reconnected and we wrote that song together. I wrote the freaking music, she wrote the lyrics. I wrote English lyrics, she took those English lyrics, changed it up to like this, is like a really, really poetic kind of way of talking about this morning flower that blossoms, which is a symbol of love. And it's like the old way of Khmer writing. And I didn't even realize that she was a poet. So it was this like amazing kind of thing again, where music is this thing. It was a, my first time to like really understand music brings people together. 
And like, we had no idea that we would have that in common. And then we did the music video, not expecting it to go anywhere. It was just like, let's just make a music video. Like, who cares? Like, it's okay. And I only had the intention to say like, we can write original music. Why should, and I was thinking back to all those times I felt shame about, you know, not having original music in, in modern Cambodia. And I was just like, I really just wanted to prove a point to just be like, it can be, it can happen. And, and who cares if my Khmer is not perfect or whatever, just like, I'm just gonna put this out there and who cares what happens, whatever happens, happens. And, and then the fact that it made it around the Khmer diaspora and whoever was on Khmer YouTube at the time. And I know like when I went to Cambodia another time, somebody recognized me like, you're the girl who does the guitar song. And I was like, oh, that, that was early days, right? So I was like, it, it was an amazing realization that, oh my God, YouTube has just connected a really disconnected, exiled people, like all the Khmer diasporas. At that point, the way my mom, for example, was like finding people she'd lost in the wars through email chains. And then YouTube is this like new platform that's like, oh, you can, we can see each other, we can talk to each other, we can platform, we can write comments to each other, we can forum, right? So it, it turned me on to this like, oh wow, we are, this is, this is actually a totally new age. All, it's limitless, it's like limitless what can happen. And the fact that I got calls from Cambodia to be like, come here, do it, come do it here. I was like, oh, okay. And it, I did not intend for the record to be a pop star in the beginning. I did not intend for that. I just intended to prove a point. And I was coming from an anthropology background. I thought I was gonna be working in like preservation for the rest of my life. And then that happened and I was like, wait, this is like culture that's alive now that needs help. And I was like, okay, then let's just go do active culture. The arts make sense <laughs> after, from anthropology, anthropology, we're looking at culture as it is trying to be impartial. And I realized like, I don't want to be impartial. I want to participate. So I was like, okay, let's go do this. And, and then it's happened to be all these different things. So amazing, amazing. Wow. Life amazing ride. Yeah, it it's funny how the universe works in those in those crazy ways too. So, it's, yeah. you know, just the the combination of almost like preparing the the whole like precipice of, you know, that what jump starts this this longevity of a career that you've had so far. Yeah. And so, you know, following that, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what were some of the things that happened and maybe when did you return to Com Cambodia and what was it like and yeah. kind of what was the state of the music industry at the country during that time? Yeah. So I have to be real with you, like music at that time, like when I went, there was a huge, huge opposition in my family because Cambodia, to be honest, in the, in 2000s, it was still pretty dangerous. It was dangerous. It was still dangerous. I mean, I remember the first time I went and my, my cousin or something like that, you know, my mom would keep me really close by. This is before music, before the music breakout. And my, like, my cousin was like, let's go to the discotheque, which was what we called the club at the time, the discotheque, right? And then my mom was like, absolutely not. I was like, why? What, like, why, why? I want to go dancing, right? And she was like, no, people still throw grenades. And I was like, oh. Oh, and that, you know, like I grew up in San Jose, there's like no grenade throwing in San Jose, right? So I was like, oh, okay, this is a different situation. So I, I, I remember being exposed to that. So then when I came, I, there were a lot of opposition from my family, a lot of family members and, and people who genuinely loved me and were concerned that I was gonna get kidnapped and ransomed and raped because there were all these horrible stories about women in the industry here being sold. 
And this is not, it's not something that we talk about now, and I'm so super grateful that we've come to this point that it's safe for women to be artists. But in the old days, it was not safe when you got here. It was still kind of dangerous. There was, you know, it was like power. If you someone was more powerful than you, then you, they could do whatever they want. So it was a little bit of a risk to come. And my mom is an amazing mom that has supported me through thick and thin and she literally fought off all those family members to be like listen she just wants to make music just let her go do the thing and you know everyone was worried that I would like ruin the family name and disgrace myself or something bad would happen or something like that that's literally this is what had happened so when I arrived yeah there were some there were still some elements of like oh this is a bit dangerous this is a bit scary but it was amazing to meet all these different artists who are also going through it and it was, it was interesting. The thing that really struck me is that when I got down here, I went and did this concert with another artist that I grew up listening to. And she had told me that like, I asked her, I was like, hey, have you ever thought, she basically said to me, hey, I really like your original music. Keep going, keep going, go for it. And then I was like, Wong, why don't you, do you want to do something? Like I could write something for you and you're an amazing singer, I love you. And she's like, oh, Laura, come on. Like, you think we don't want to do it? It's not that we can't do it. We're not allowed to do it. And I was like, oh, what do you mean you're not allowed to do it? And then it led me on this journey to going and exploring all these production houses, talking to them. They were offering deals at the time. And, and at the time, it was like, yeah, you, you can't be a star. You can't be a singer unless you join a production house and a karaoke production house. So let me clarify. And, and yeah, and then I found out that you're not allowed to do original music because they sold CDs for $1.50 on the street. Not their fault again, and I, I covered this a little bit in the TED Talk, but basically what I saw, what I, under, what I came to understand is just like the infrastructure was so beaten down that we just lost all infrastructure. Like things, would, things were selling really cheap. Everything was broken down. So I, in, as a result of infrastructure also being beaten down, I realized that the hope and like the, the ability to actually commit to making something new was terrifying. It was terrifying for people. So, and, and when I was young, I didn't get it, and I was, uh, I was uh, angry about it. I was upset. I'm like, how dare you? How dare you, like, not allow original music? I was very upset, and I was, like, used all my angry American energy to be like, yeah, I'm going to change the game, you know? Like, I came in all kind of, like, guns blazing, super American style. But over time and over the years, I've realized, like, gosh, nobody meant the wrong thing. Nobody meant to do wrong. It's just that... Our infrastructure has been, you know, depleted, and we had to build it. We've got to build it back, piece by piece, as a group. This new, this movement doesn't belong to one person. It belongs to every single person who has built it. You know, so when the original music movement started, it was because of Facebook and YouTube that we were able to do these things. And I, I, my theory was right. I was like, oh yeah, that's right. A free platform, a free forum to do things that you know, to to dare to do things. Because the great thing about YouTube is it's free, and that there's no, there's no, that it's, it's like there's no consequences of putting something up. Zero consequences. You're not going to lose money. You just put something up, and it's going to be fine. So that is a game changer. I wish YouTube would actually pay attention to this, because it's like, a, it's important for countries that are going through devastation. I think it's a really, really important tool. So, yeah, so, I mean, I didn't expect this. I really didn't expect this, and as I kept getting into it, and like, realizing that like the thing that was amazing was that I was like I got on the ground and I realized holy crap there's actually a lot of talent a lot of talent there's plenty of talent it's just not being tapped at all and and it made me like okay 
we got to change this thing. We got to, that was the part where I was like, okay, thanks America for telling me to disrupt the system, very Silicon Valley to be like, let's disrupt the chain of command. And I was like, okay, time to disrupt things. You know, I'm, I'm a millennial. I grew up in the Steve Jobs era where it was like, you can be anything. You could be Steve Jobs. It's like, all right, I'm going to disrupt something. Hopefully it works. And I, it, it worked. It worked. So, you know, thanks, Steve. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. <laughs> RIP, Steve. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, and, you know, it's like the whole culmination of everything that you just said, the fact that there are streaming platforms now for that allows anybody to be a true creative, allowing people to follow their passion or to be who they want to be and, and, you know, not be, you know, suppressed by any way in that matter is, is incredible to start with. And, you know, having, and from your side, just having the foresight and being able to see, you know, there's, there's something big that can be done. It's just a matter of taking the actions and learning boots on the ground, which is, you know, something that is, is incredibly important. And the only way that you can really truly understand like a fragmented sector or market or anything along those lines. Yeah. And I, I'm curious too. So in the, during that time, you, you said you went to different production houses and how was it that you found different artists and it, was it just through the production houses or was it kind of like, how did you go about learning more about the industry in that aspect? Okay. So it was, it was definitely not through the production houses and the production houses, you know, they had these really strict contracts and rightfully so I understood their model. Right. So it was like, but you know, the, the way that they made it work is that they made it work with having hiring one to two producers and then like a bunch of songwriters and then the singers would just do whatever is given to them. It's like kind of an old model to be honest. And so with YouTube, I, the way that I discovered people is really from YouTube and, and like, it really was. Like, for example, I, I, uh, I built my act when I was here because I was first, my first job was just to prove that an original artist myself can be successful. That was my first job. And like, you know, I was really, my mom was like, okay, you give it a go. Like, but if you fail, come back here and get a job, you know, kind of thing, like <laughs> that kind of thing. So in the beginning, for example, like I hired this really cute college dance crew called Super K. And they were really, really cute, and they could do, like, K-pop choreography. Really, really cute. Pure love, really, really nice. And there was one artist who could do a flip, and his name was Belu, and he could rap. And and I would listen to him, and then he did this song on YouTube with a, this kid named Sachit, and that was Kamei Pai. And, like, I said, oh, wow, these kids are really, really good. And then my mom and my dad sent me their, they sent me their, their separate YouTubes, like, they're good. And I thought, okay. Wow, one's doing hip hop, which at the time was, was still considered kind of like gangster. I don't know if this is safe, you know, for society kind of thing. And pop music artists. So then I asked them, like, do you guys want to try and make an act? And we sat together in a room and with all of their crew, and we came up with this name called Kmink Mai, and they were the first act that we signed. And they did really, really well, you know. So, and and if it wasn't, you have to give credit where credit is due, right? Like, if it wasn't for Kmink Mai and Balu doing what he did, then you know you wouldn't have a Vanda today, where somebody made hip hop okay and and national and like I think that you know when I was looking for other artists, everyone was coming out on YouTube because at the time we we the original artists started making money. I mean we started getting brand endorsements, which because our music was original, so it wasn't illegal, so we could go work for. I went to work for Pepsi as a brand ambassador, and it was a big deal to me. I was like, this is Pepsi, this is like Britney, and all these different things that I was like okay, this is cool. And I think, I think that once people start to make money, 
it was, and then also as artists realized that, hey, I don't have to join this production company, they all came out. They use the same model, right? That's the beauty of technology, right? So it's like, wait a second. I just need to put my music up on for free on this like video thing called YouTube and Facebook and just be like, hey guys, this is my original song. Hope you like me. And then, you know, huge fans came out of nowhere and, and then people were with it. I think that, I think that I've talked to a lot of artists too and a lot of, I'm not the first person to have the idea that we should have original music. All the artists used to sit and, and be like, I, I think we should have our own thing. Everyone is like, it was a whisper when we got into it. And then discovering all those artists on YouTube was because everyone was like, it's not a whisper, it's a desire. So it was like this kind of like, you know, confession of sorts to be like, I want more, I want more. And so, yeah, and I, I think, you know, even to this day, we still look for artists on YouTube. That's how we, we still scour for talent because it's amazing, yeah. And I found Polarix, this amazing dance group from Sim, from Sim Rip. They were just like a dance crew that was trained by these awesome, like, Japanese, this is, his name's Kenichiro, and he, he built this, like, super disciplined, amazing team. And, yeah, they, they had great music skills, dance skills, everything. So it was like, okay, there was the bay in my head. Like, it doesn't matter if you don't have the infrastructure, the money. If it doesn't matter if you don't have whatever, as long as you have skill and you have grit, we're going to do something. And like, you know, it's a very rock star kind of lifestyle to be like, I'm going to do it. And then you start to get fans and it's like, oh shit, yeah, I'm, I'm going. So it's like, you know, it's, yeah. fun. it's fun to keep reliving this journey over you're, and over again. I love it. I love it so much. So, yeah. You're getting me really pumped up right now. I'm not going <laughs> to <lie. laughs> Just cool. like, let's go, let's go out there and do something. Yeah. So. <laughs> let's go get this. It's a really cool aspect of uh, that culture, which yeah, it's, it's good. It's called the struggle, right? The hustle. It's called hustling, right? So I love that. It's so relevant to this country, and I think it's working. And it's not just in, in this spirit. And I, I'm a big believer, too, that, like, music is something you spread, right? So we all listen to music every day. What? To do what? Like, sometimes to process your emotion. Sometimes you go to the gym, you listen to music to do what? To give yourself a little bit of, like, energy, to pump yourself up, to motivate yourself, right? So that's like literally a superpower. It's the, the power to transfer energy to somebody. So I knew that like, if you wanna transfer good feelings to this country and like get everyone hyped on this feeling, music, it's super easy. It's short form media, very easy to consume, not too long to make, not too much money to make, easy, fairly not too expensive. It gets crazy when you start getting into all the, the stuff, but at the basics, a song is, is, is best at the songwriting point. It's the composing that that's really makes a song great. So, you know, I, I was like, okay, cool. These are easy tools. These are simple tools to actually affect positive change. So, I mean, yeah, so music had a positive change in my life. So I was like, let's see if we can do more. So I was like, okay. And then that's, I think that's really the secret energy and sauce and ingredient to how we get these artists hype on their own careers and be like, you can make impact. Don't just think about yourself, think about the impact. And like, you know, yeah, so it's cool, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Barame looks like today and, uh, and how that journey has unfolded as the company and or the music label has gone from strength to strength? Oh yeah, I'm gonna tell you guys, I'm, I, I'm not sure I should tell you this, but it's okay, it's fine, it's the truth. So like early days I had two employees and one was also a dancer from Super K. So like, I just grabbed these like kids who were like, anybody who liked art and was like, hey, come work for me, you know, whatever. 
And early days, we used to do like these, like we'd have like a Game of Thrones Mondays. It was like an office in my living room. And we do, yeah, anyways, we had like Whiskey Mondays with Game of Thrones. Like it was very not serious in the beginning. And it's, it's at today, Barma has moved on to where we have 40 staff and we have a sub label called La Cima Cartel that yesterday just got the number one track on a streaming platform here. And we have like, uh, I think it's like, we have five artists that are, are, we're really focusing on this year and a couple new ones coming in as well. And yeah, it's been a long journey <laughs> to becoming like a, a professionalizing this business and, and, and also kind of like, you know, the reality is that art and music is a patron, it's a patron culture, right? You're, you're, you're living in a patron client kind of culture. You're working with endorsements. Unfortunately, streaming that like, like for example, Spotify and all these different guys have just arrived and, and, and Cambodia's rates are still pretty low and I think they should be a little bit higher to be honest. So Spotify, if you're listening, please lift it up a little bit, but it's okay. No worries. I'm just grateful that they're here. So, you know, the reality is that we have to work really, really in tune at Barme with like endorsements and we work heavily as an agency. So. We've had to, I mean, we're a label, but we've had to really, really work like an agency to make the label sustainable. And so, you know, I've got, I've got a production team, I've got a sales and marketing team, the finance team. And so we, we really kind of operate as a singular kind of like team. And I was really inspired by the, there was an NPR article like many, many, many years ago about Wu-Tang Clan and how they became, created their success and they basically formed a corporation. It was like several artists that were very good coming together to say, I'm not gonna sign a one record label deal. I'm gonna sign our corporation deal. And if you wanna do business with me, you have to do business with my whole business. So it created this power for them and they became really successful because they collected their, they used collective power. Because let's be honest, in the music industry, it's easy to whittle down a, a relatively unknown artist. It's easy to, you know, bully someone into a predatory contract, to be honest. And let's not, I'm not gonna lie that those didn't exist, right? They, de they did exist here. So I remember listening to that NPR article and be like, frickin' Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to F with, right? So I was like, okay, let's, let's use the Wu-Tang model. And, and so I was like, okay, let's pull these artists together. And they still work together. That's why I think that it's kind of unique about Barmaid, that our artists are close. They don't have separate clan, the, uh, separate camps and separate teams. They share teams and we all work as a team to be like, okay, how do we push this forward, right? So in, whether or not someone is bigger or lower, like whatever, they help each other. Everybody helps each other. So yeah, that's Barmaid today. And like, I, I'm super duper proud because we started as like a, kind of like a gentle, a gentle dream business. And we got really kind of, we blew up into a more like efficient machine, I would say. And we're, I think we strike a fine balance, a really good balance between protecting the artist and also trying to professionalize the artist to be like, hey, we gotta be professionals. We have to like be hardcore. So um, yeah, so that's Barame Today. That was like a long-winded description of it, but yeah, that's Barame Today basically. Okay, and yeah, one point that you just mentioned there about the like Spotify coming in now to Cambodia, how did that, how has that impacted some of the other players in the market? Like, like you said, it's just become a, uh, more competitive for monetizing now. It's wonderful. I, I actually think that it's a good thing to have everyone come in. Like TikTok is gonna do TikTok music this year, right? Like it's a big, big, big kind of like 
buzz on the market and music business worldwide. So I think it's so good for all of these, all the platforms to come in here because it provides opportunities. And the reason why I'm really supportive of like these bigger platforms, some people say like, oh, you, you know, there, of course, there's a valid argument that Spotify is unfair to indies and things like that. Yes, okay, whatever. But for Cambodia, we need to be grateful for what we get like right now. And so we're not at that, that, that step right now. And what Spotify does for us and why I'm glad it's here, in addition to YouTube. YouTube is, is great, but it's a video platform. It's not a pure streaming platform. And I have to say that the, the rates that are streaming rates are better from the pure music streaming platforms. But Spotify, what it does is it connects us to other music infrastructure. So a big thing about for Cambodia and like kind of a little almost segueing into what's happening right now is that the question is for this generation is, can we participate in the world music industry? It's, it's a fact that all Everybody, especially when YouTube came in, before YouTube came in, MTV was here, V Channel was here. People were watching like all these pop culture kind of icons, right? So it's always been a desire for people to participate in that. And what Spotify does is it's connecting us to say like we can share revenue on these platforms, and you can go outside. Now the box is not Cambodia, the box is the world, if you want. So we're just getting started on this. And I think that you know it's it's changed things in the local market, of course, because it makes it more competitive. But I think the most important thing is that it's connecting us to the world. And now, what's commonly called in the in the music industry is, is rev share. You can go to a producer and you can go to another artist and say like, hey, let's do a track together. I'm not going to spend money on it. You're not going to spend money on it. We'll do it together. We share the revenue. That is huge. That's like huge. That that opens so much opportunity to every single. Cambodian artist that's out there. So, yeah, it's changed the game again. Again, technology changes the game. I and and how, by the way, what... Your, does that answer your question? I'm not sure if that was your main question. Yes, yeah, no, no, it, it does. And I, I, yeah, just the, the landscape is now, there's a lot more platforms that artists can go to in order to, to monetize their, their content. Exactly, um, and it's good to sell. Like, you know, you want to be able to... You want to sell your stuff everywhere. That's the point. You want to be ubiquitous. You don't want to sell on one platform. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You want to sell it wherever. And right. So like we live in a digital world. You need to capture every market. You know, if you go to Europe, they might use Deezer more. If you go to America, they may use Apple Music more. If you go here, we're going to use YouTube more. Right. So every platform has different markets. And we need them all so you can access all the markets. You have to access all. If you, I mean, I think it's, it's important. Like I pay attention to the market trends. Like look at K-pop, for example. They've, it's, the, it's, it's an Asian music phenomenon that has crossed into every single platform. And that's fascinating. It's super fascinating. It's an amazing time for being an Asian person and being like, wow, Asian music is also global. This is, this is crazy. And I think there's like one thing that I, I am so excited about. And again, a little bit segueing into the future. But for example, there was a track that was recently done by Ozuna. I think it was Lisa Bad Bunny or somebody like it was a Latin artist. Oh, Megan the Stallion was on it. All different languages on the track. Like, it, I think for the average listener, it's just like cool music. But for me, I'm like, what? Multiple languages on one track? That this didn't happen before that's that's new that's brand new and it's a result of globalizing music like we're merging into these markets where we share right so that's a big opportunity for Cambodia that's a huge opportunity like wow maybe you could accept 
my, my sounds, my language. Maybe my language is not a disadvantage. Maybe I don't need to know perfect English to make music and participate in the global scale. That's, that's the big opportunity. I think that's what changes the landscape so much and it's exciting. It makes it really, really exciting to work now. So, yeah. And of course, dur- during COVID, that obviously for artists, that was like the, the main way they could, you know, t- can continue to get their content out there. But what, what about today now that so we're, we're past COVID? Are you seeing also, you know, a big push for, for concerts again? And, and you know, oh. bit, like big, uh, big shows coming out. And if you, do you have any coming up that you would want to shout out? Yeah. So, yes. And I am so glad COVID is over. Yay. Like, <laughs> think, I mean, well, kind of, but, you know. For the most part, in Cambodia, it's it's over-ish. So concerts have come back, and and it was this last year. I mean, I've got bags under my eyes, you can't see, but like this last year was a little tiring because everything came back. I think definitely there's like you know people are feeling like after COVID, you're like reassessing your life and being like, I want to have fun. I want to be. I'm trying to do my thing. You know, like I need to party a little bit. I need to like have a good life. I need to laugh. I need to smile. I need to see people. Be around people. So we just did, we just concluded a huge tour. So, so Vanda is like the biggest artist at Barme right now and making all kinds of, breaking all kinds of records. So what he did is he actually just did his first, it's the first solo artist ticketed tour. So in the old days, just to give you some clarity and some, some context on it, in the old days, what, what we had to do is we had to do like mixed shows. So there would be like beer shows or telecom shows and multiple artists would get on the show and you have a slot of like four to six songs you do your thing and you get off the stage and that's the end of it there's no like extra show showmanship beyond that so and i had a, a really nice mentor of mine named john derule basically had said you know like he told me this story like in taiwan there's just it doesn't take a whole industry to change in taiwan there was one artist that did it, that he became the first artist to solo tour and it changed the game and then it brought ticketing culture in so he was like, you guys could do that someday. And I, it was like, he said this to me before COVID. And I was like, okay, cool. And I thought about it and thought about it. And my brother and I, we thought about it. And so Vanda's popularity was really, really popping off. And we were like, okay, I think we can pull this off. Let's see. And then, of course, again, technology comes into play. A company like Wonderpass comes in and they start ticketing. So you can buy your tickets on an app, whatever, instantaneously. You don't need to go to a ticketing office. You can just freaking buy the tickets now. So we did the tour. And we put it up for sale, and the first day, the, the Phnom Penh show sold out in four hours. So it was, it was like, okay, great, great. Because a big, exciting thing for an artist, I think, is show money. I mean, a lot of the big artists in even the United States today, they make most of their money from touring, not from streaming. It's really from touring, right? So we did this tour. And it was really, really exciting and fun. And I couldn't believe that, like, the energy is there. Because when you pay for your ticket, you are like, I'm not I'm not getting this for free, right? When you get something for free, you don't kind of value it as much. When you pay for it, you go nuts. So, like, the kids went freaking nuts. And it was super fun. And we really, really enjoyed it. And so, yeah, I can say that concert culture is not just back, but it's improved. And while it seems like, a you know, ticketing and the U.S. And, and other places is like, that's like a normal thing. It's a big deal to us to open that revenue stream now. It's like a brand new revenue stream. We did that tour, and now everyone has ticketed shows going out, which I'm like, yay, it's happening. So it's good. It's great for the artists, to be honest, because it's good revenue for them. So yeah, concerts are back. And then I, in terms of shout-outs, I'm also really, really excited to announce that Vanda has booked 
international tours, not just Vanda, but like we did a, we went to Singapore and we did this, we participated in the ASEAN Music Showcase and it was an industry event. It was a smaller concert because it was an industry event inviting other festivals to town. And we booked Big Mountain Festival for Vanda in Thailand, which is a 100,000 person festival, which is very first time an artist has been booked for a music festival outside of Cambodia. Again, another record shattered. But what we were really excited about is like Van Tan is, I have another artist here who is like a super amazing genius prodigy instrumentalist. He can play 28 instruments and he can learn any instrument pretty much in like five minutes. He also invents instruments. He invented a water drum where he took like something where we like, we do, you can like, he took this cooking pan thing and turned it over into water and made a drum out of it. Crazy guy. Like the materials to make this thing is like $4 and it sounds great. So he did the show in ASEAN Music Showcase and people loved him and he booked Wonderfruit in Thailand, which is like a huge music festival. That is like, that, that's yeah, actually, sorry, I don't want to interject. <laughs> yeah, say actually, that's funny that you say that because I one of my one of my friends she lives in in Thailand and she went to it and it's an incredible festival. It's incredible festival. it's huge. So. It's like amazing, right? So and the fact that it's a it's like he's like his name is Vantan and he comes from Far Circus and he you know has been doing the Far Circus thing all his life, gained super like amazing skills, definitely has more than ten thousand hours of of like doing live shows under his belt. <clears throat> Again, like a really talented person that you just would have never, dis I don't think the world would discover. And when we put him out there in Singapore, people loved it and they were like, this is cool, man. And he booked Wonderfruit. He also booked another one called Mahasrap. I hope someday I can get him on Lightning in a Bottle, which is one of my favorite festivals in America. Burning Man is like deep down, I'm like someday. So like, yeah, I mean, these things are happening. I'm super excited. And I, I, you know, and Vanda, I, I can't ex announce the other one that he's booked, but it's a big one. He's booked another, he's booked another big one. And like, it's uh, exciting. It's really, really exciting because I think what's most exciting for it to understand from the Cambodian side is like, it's, we are exiting. We are going out before we've always been in our tiny little bubble, fixing our bubble. And right now we're going out. We're like spreading. So it's cool. It's very, very exciting. And yeah, I'm so glad that COVID is over. I'm so glad because <laughs> concerts are fun. It's the yeah. best way to connect with your fans and like just have a good time. So fun, so fun. So yeah, that's that's the update basically. That's that. That's very exciting. All, all of those, all the news, and you know, congratulations as well to the, to the artists and you know the, the company as well for for that success and just this just from the sound of it too. It seems like it was entirely just accelerated, like gas pedal down all the way, just and with all these platforms that, you know, are supporting. And as you said, with the, with the global exposure now, it's, it, it really is exciting to see what the next you know couple of years is going to hold. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Burning Man really is going to be on the list. I mean, oh, it's a, it's a festival on dream. my list too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's my dream because you know what, what Andy and I used to do when we were in back in the, in our, our main gripe and what we miss, of course, in California, there's lots of, there's so many fest festivals, right? There's like so many big music events that are really, really fun. And we do miss them because we're out here and stuff. And now that there's like this full circle kind of aspect and it's like someday maybe Burning Man, someday maybe Burning Man, like, you know, it's kind of exciting because it's now like starting to do its full circle. And I'm like, oh gosh, if we can go back and forth between home and here, 
to do like music business my god how fun would that be so yeah then I can see my best friends and all my peoples in America and stuff so yeah so I'm excited I'm really excited this is an exciting time I guess it really hasn't stopped being exciting so that's why it's a little exhausting I'm gonna say that we're probably a little exhausted to be honest but we everyone just took a huge break after the tour so it's all good I think we're coming back into form now and being like all right let's get to it so yeah it's cool awesome and as we transition into the last part of our last section of the episode, we're going to just kind of dive into a couple questions about maybe habits and advice and just some perspectives that you have. And I think the first one, you know, you've, you've shared the space, you know, you shared this, excuse me, shared the stage with, you know, several other really great artists such as Charlie Puth and, you know, Demi Lovato and mm -hmm. if, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, if you had the opportunity to collaborate with one artist from anywhere in the world right now, who would it be? Me? Yes, you. <laughs> Me? Okay, okay, okay. Well, God, that's a really hard question. This, I wasn't, I, I yeah. <laughs> it's a hard question because I like a lot of artists. To be honest, I have to, I think I keep going back to this one. It, I have a lot more, but I really want Snoop Dogg, man. I really love Snoop Dogg because he's so freaking cool. And, you know, Cambodia. He's such a vibe. <laughs> he's such a vibe. And, like, Snoop Dogg. I, it, it doesn't even have to be a collaboration with me. It's just any Cambodian artist. I would really love to see it Fonda and Snoop Dogg. But if it was me, I'd be really happy too. Because, I mean, Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg reps Long Beach, right? It's LBC, right? And so Cambo Long Beach is like the tiny Cambodian town. It's like the one place that, that we have in the United States that's like supposed to... There's a Cambodia town there. There's actually a Cambodia town there. So, And I used, I used to have cousins that lived in Long Beach. I visit all the time during the whole like Tupac era and and like Death Row and all that so all that music Warren G and Regulators and all that so like I grew up with all that music and Snoop Dogg made me feel really proud of the long of like oh yeah like not just Snoop Dogg but like a Summertime in the LBC these are like old old tracks right but it made me feel really really proud and Snoop Dogg he has a he has a strange connection to Cambodia and I'm waiting for that thing to happen. I would love to see Snoop Dogg and a Cambodian artist get together and do something really dope because yeah, LBC is a cool history. Super cool. So yeah, Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Honestly, if you, I, I'm a true believer in manifestation, so yeah. just keep on pushing it out there into the world, and you know, it'll come back. It'll come yeah. back for sure. For sure, for sure. Speak up if you're uh, listening. Let the yeah. gods be known. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, we'll send him. We'll send him a clip. We'll send okay. him. A clip. <laughs> Be like, yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah, and when when you when you were doing performances before, did you ever have stage fright? And you know how did maybe artists that you've worked with that might be new to performing live do you know do they have stage fright? And how do you help guide them through you know yeah. having that confidence or maybe putting aside yeah. the nerves? Yeah, I mean, of course, stage fright is real, but it also, stage fright, if you don't have stage fright, you don't love it anymore. Like, it's a bad sign if you don't have stage fright. It's bad. I, th I think, I think it's kind of bad. So like, stage fright, of course, it, it can make you really like terrified and stuff like that. But so what I do and what I like to tell my artists is that like, it's in, it's good if you kind of create, sorry, there's like a little bug over here. Um, so with stage fright, I think what's important is that you create a character and you, it's a little bit like method acting. You need to create a character so it's not you up there. It is you and you can come out of your shell and be yourself, but when you put on your clothes, when you put on your makeup, when you put on all the, the fit, right, like it's a show, right? So like you need to 
go into there's a really beautiful ceremony in Cambodia where we actually do a prayer before every performance I still do it to this day and I have all the artists do it every performance we do a big prayer and we actually yeah we go all out we bring all the stuff and everything and the prayer is actually to ask the spirits of that you know Cambodia has it's very animist if you really look at it it's like spirit houses everywhere and all these different things right we do believe in spirits and everything so like the prayer is to ask spirits in the area that you're in, in the house that you're performing in the in the stage there's spirits of the stage there's spirits of the ground you ask them to enter and possess you literally kind of sounds scary but it's also not that scary but you're asking them to come in when you pray you ask them to possess me and please possess me and, and help me perform to my best degree right and so and, and you give gratitude to them and all these different things which is a really beautiful ceremony and I think that it's kind of similar to in one way it's very spiritual if you want to go spiritual but in another way it just helps you to get into the character like you need to get into what you're going to be and and whatever is your music that music has a character so play the character and bring that character to your audiences that way, I think the big thing with stage fright is that if you feel that people are judging you, because we're all human, right? We have egos. So if you feel like you're being judged, you're going to freak out. Everybody's going to freak out. You're like, oh, God, don't see me. Did I mess up? Don't care. The show must go on. That's like a thing that I think is also like, it's a great line because it, it's totally true. Like, if you mess up in a play, doesn't matter. Just keep going. And like improv figure it out right so I think it helps people a little bit to enter a character and just be like look if you're going up there to do hip-hop you're giving people strength or if you're going up there with a sad song you're giving people rawness and and sometimes and if you're confident enough and if you feel good enough to even like bring yourself out there to be raw like sometimes a raw vocal performance is is amazing to watch live then be who you were in the moment when you wrote the song it's still a character in, in essence. So like, yeah, so that's kind of my, it's, it's like, it's not, it's very abstract, but I, I do think it helps you to like exit me now. You need to like defragment your, your mind from your ego to be like, it's, it's not me up there. It's a moment, it's a feeling, it's an emotion. It's, you know, it's something that I'm bringing to a stage. It's an act. We call it an act for a reason. So yeah, I mean, that helps. And if all else fails, just look right here in the middle. Don't look into people's eyes. Just look right there. And it'll look like, and just smile really hard into the middle of someone's head. And it works every single time. They'll just start smiling back at you. And smiling and laughing is infectious. So if you smile at somebody, it's rude not to smile back. So like, you can charm your audience with your smile, basically. And just be like, smile at me, man. Like, what's up, man? I'm happy to see you. Are you happy to see me? Your natural reaction is going to be like, yeah. So like, you know, that's a trick. And if you're scared as hell, just keep looking here. Just, just look at foreheads. That's it. Easy, easy trick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and also, yeah, it's true. And also most of the time too, it, you know, whether it's like a dance, like a dance choreography or something, if, if you feel like you make a mistake more than likely the people in the crowd will not know that you made a mistake or, you know, it'll be so minimal that it, they want it's it's just it's just part of the performance yeah and it, it's funny I, when you when you talk about the rawness of, of performing like an acoustic you know f for some reason it reminds me of of the song with lady gaga and bradley cooper when they perform oh, yeah. shallow totally. I, I think that uh, for that like that performance alone is just uh, it's just insane it just you just feel it it's yeah it's just yeah. levels of it so totally um, that i mean yeah. that i mean the fact that they filmed it perfectly and they captured that perfectly 
I think that's that's it right there. It's like, and they just enter the emotion. You got to enter into that emotion, and that's it. The only thing that fills your body is that emotion, and that was an amazing. I mean, Lady Gaga is. I mean, yeah. Lady Gaga is my. She's my, yeah, she's amazing. So, like, I just, like, love her a lot. But she also is a master performer. She's a master performer. She just enters a character, and that's how she does it. It's, like, so cool. And she has many characters. That's why her show is so cool. So, gosh, yeah. There, there, yeah. And and you can, she can be raw. She can be freaking meat dress. Like, she can do it all. So, I, yeah, I, I think she's pretty amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's awesome. We have just two more questions to ask before we close out. And the first one is, what is your biggest failure and what did you learn from that experience? Oh, wow. Okay. So I would say a long time ago when I was an artist, just representing myself, I failed to read a contract correctly. <laughs> and it really blew up in my face. Like it really like I, I like basically let somebody really take advantage of me and conv and convince me that I owed them all these different things and I didn't understand what it meant and I I let them like terrify the crap out of me like I was terrified and and I I made decisions quickly I freaked out and I view it kind of as a failure because I didn't really I I kind of like I wasn't diligent at that moment I was and it was a, it was a but it was a life-changing moment because it taught me it taught me like you got to be diligent you got to read the fine print and like you have to be careful you have to protect yourself and i remember i remember it being like one of the most stressful periods of my life and just being like oh god and like having like my stomach churn and just like not being able to sleep at night when you're afraid somebody's going to like sue you and you're freaking out you have no idea what's going to happen so it taught me it taught me to like get closer to that feeling of like what happens when you're in danger and to like how you have to go into survival mode and how you have to be like okay I gotta fix this I gotta like figure it out and it taught me it freaking slapped me in the face really hard on how to be diligent to be really diligent like really really read what are you doing what is going on what are you agreeing to is it fair like I think that I raise this in this context. There's lots of other failures in life, but I raise this in this context because we're talking about music and, and passing on messages to other artists. This is something that they're going to go through. And like, I, I, there are so many times I watch artists just kind of blindly walk into situations, and I'm like, don't do that. And it, sometimes it takes a thing like this to slap you and be like, oh God, I got to make sure that this never happens to me again. But I see a lot of carelessness when it comes to this kind of thing and I was careless too so I made that mistake and like I and it cost me a lot it cost me it, it freaked me out like it cost me a bad turn in my period in, in a career period and I was like oh gosh what's gonna happen I had to like survive it and then and then everything was okay because from that point forward I really got to know what my rights were what is intellectual property it sounds a bit nerdy but you really need to know what your rights are what is what is intellectual property? What is what are performance rights? What's licensing? What is that? You know, what what is illegal? What is not illegal? What's copying? What's not copying? What's interpolation? Like these are all things that like I think it's is as we live in this digital world and it's super easy now to take and copy and imprint sounds and just do any different kind of thing, right? And and to sign contracts, to be a brand ambassador, to do, you know, influencer type stuff. It's important to know your rights. And like that failure 
I think I, I kind of I think what I'm trying to say is like I want I hope that artists going forward really in, get informed. They like get informed. The internet is a powerful tool. Go and learn these things because it's too dangerous to go out there and like not know what your rights are. So yeah, I mean you know I, that in this context I, I bring that one up just because it hurts and I think I want other artists out there to be prepared to, to you will meet some predatory contact contracts out there sometimes it will come and like be prepared try to understand beforehand what it means because it hurts when somebody takes something from you and as artists you know you're we're emotional people <laughs> so you it can it can some people get so burned they never return to art so like be careful and like yeah hope that's not too giving it away but yeah <laughs> no no that's no it, it don't completely understand i mean that this is a it's it's something that especially with any new artists, they just need to go through a master class of understanding, yeah. especially around IP. And yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, like all of the, the verbiage around it, I mean, it's, it goes a lot deeper than, than just, you know, the word itself. It's, it's everything from, you know, what you produce to thinking what you own to what someone else's own to, yeah. you know, and there's people out there too, that are just going and like looking for ways to, to, you know, kind of, I, I, you know, I don't want to say ruin, but try and like throw shade. And, yeah. you know, it's even if you are completely innocent, it's, it's still a stretch. Yeah. And, and don't I expect guess them in, to be you know. nice. Don't expect people to be nice. Mm -hmm. Cause they like, you know, people have their reasons, marketing people have their reasons or whatever, you know, like everyone has their own hustle. So you can get caught yeah. up in someone else's hustle. So, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, if, you know, we can all be inspired by Taylor Swift kind of remaking her exactly. masters and just going off. So exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, but, you know, these rights, yeah. I mean, even the biggest artists face these issues, they do face these issues. And as a label too, I have to walk a fine line too, thinking like, wait, what's ethical? What's not ethical, you know, on rights right now, the artists have their rights. So like, you know, like we're not taking on that. We're not taking on the masters. Like we're helping to represent them. We want to publish them. Okay, great. But what is publishing? I mean, it's really complicated and really boring, but it's important. <laughs> so like, yeah, I mean, I guess what I mean to say is that like, it took me a minute. I, I walked in blindly to a lot of my, that, that big failure was I walked in blindly to a lot of those contracts and I thought I knew what I was doing and I didn't. And like, so it, and then it taught me real quick, like, okay, you need to know what you're doing. And if you don't know, ask someone who knows. Don't sit there and be like, I think I know what this means. Uh-uh. Go ask a lawyer. Go find out. Like, go figure it out because you need to protect yourself. That's one of the most important things for young artists out there is that I hope that they realize that, you know, this is one thing I was talking with another artist about is that, like, when you're an artist, if you're going to just be an artist and call yourself an artist, then you don't need to worry about the money part. But if you're going to call yourself a professional artist and you want to make money to survive in your life on this art, then you need to understand business and you need to understand how to protect your business because you're running a business. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff on the internet about like, oh, I think Kanye was saying like, we need to hire CEOs. And I'm not saying Kanye is like my idol or anything, but he has a point. You do need to have your own kind of, this is what I hope to do here at Barmay for the other artists as well, to be like, here's my business advice to you in this moment as you're crafting your business. So yeah, it's important. <laughs> Sorry, long-winded, long-winded oh, no, kind of reflection no, on no, this. No, it's, no, it's, yeah, yeah, 
it's yeah. it's it's massively important and you know we could that's, that's a whole another discussion to definitely dive into yeah. but at, you know as we're closing out here we we have a traditional closing question that we like to ask each of our guests and that is what is the most important piece of advice you've ever been given oh hmm. gosh There's a lot of good advice in the world i should have pre-thought this one but it's okay so hmm. Well, <laughs> okay, there's lots of really good advice. I'm gonna give you a similar answer to the last question because we're really talking about artists and I think artists, maybe people who listen to this podcast and it's, it's business and music business oriented. So I had a mentor of mine, another mentor of mine come to me and say like, when I started, I started doing acoustic guitar music and it was like very Michelle Branch and very sweet and stuff like that, right? So he came to me and he said, Laura, like, I totally love you. I think you're really, really, he's an American guy. And he's like, I, I love what you're doing. And I was popular. I was already like, you know, doing my thing. I had like a little like swaggy. I was like, I'm Laura mom, whatever. So, <laughs> and then he came to me and he's like, you know what? I really like you and I think you're so sweet, but you need to drop this sweet girl act and you need to bring me a show. Bring me a freaking act. Get me something that, I don't want you to be nice to me. I want you to surprise me. I want you to inspire me. So bring me an act because you are, you're more than just a sweet girl. Don't be a, just a sweet girl. And it was shocking because I was like, you know, here I was all like young and like I was like, I'm the shit, you know, whatever. And then he, he hit me with that and I was like, whoa. And I think this is good advice for other artists too. Like a lot of people come in, this, this advice helped me. It, it, it pushed me to be like, okay, let me work on my stage show. Let me work on my act. What is my act? And I think that, you know, it really helped me as an artist when I was young. And it helped me understand that like, hey, you don't need to just get everyone to like you. You need to figure out a way that's outside of the box to really like tell them what you're trying to do. Like really, really tell them what you're trying to do. Show them, don't tell them, show them. And like get them to agree with you in your act and so it's like kind of the advice really is like if you're going to get into music and i'm going to direct this at artists if you're going to get into music yes it's going to be your journey but you are going to become something more than yourself and you should expect to do that to to do so and if you expect to just do your thing and just be you it's okay it's fine but if you want to be great and you want to be like the lady gagas of the world you've got to bring something beyond yourself and and to really 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 show and put that into your act and and draw from your life experiences to do all of that so don't be nice be amazing <laughs> that was his advice to me don't be nice be amazing <laughs> okay so yeah i mean it I well, no. advice. it's good advice for me it changed my life he changed my life to be honest so yeah i spread that to you guys <laughs> well that's no that's fantastic advice and you know, we really want to thank you again for coming on to the show today and, you know, talking with us about about your, your life and, you know, all the exciting things that you're working on now and really looking forward to seeing the, the, the lineups and the concerts and all the future success of not only yourself, but also all the artists and everybody that you're working with today. So thank you again so much. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. And it was a lovely interview. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much, Laura. Thanks again for taking the time to listen with us today, and we hope you enjoyed our conversation with Laura Mom. Remember, if you want to follow us further, 
go onto Instagram and find us at Rising Giants FM to follow us for our new releases and new reels that we distribute on a weekly basis. Thanks again and tune in next week for our next episode of Rising Giants.